All right. Happy Father's Day again. So glad to be here together. My name's Matt Party. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, excited to be together to worship and sing those songs together and dive into God's Word. We're going through a series on the Psalms this summer, and each pastor or, or pastor in training that gets to come up and share with you gets to pick a Psalm that is meaningful to them and has spoken to them. And while I was in the hospital for many months, I was sick there for a little while, uh, my wife was reading Psalm 91 over and over and over again to me as I was in the hospital, whether I was unconscious or conscious, she was reading this to me. So as soon as I knew we were doing this series, I was very excited to dive into Psalm 91. Now, it's 16 verses, and I really wanted to chew on it, so we're only going to do two of the verses of the 16, but I'm hoping that whets your appetite for you to go read Psalm 91 this week over and over again as my wife was washing me with the Word of God uh, and blessing me while I was in the hospital. I pray that you do that for yourself as you read through Psalm 91 this week. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through uh, His Word. God, we thank you for this chance to be together, to chew on your word, to meditate on your word. God, it says day and night to meditate on the words of God and how that blesses us and how that feeds us and that nourishes us, God, in the things that we need. And we pray for that today, God, as we come before you, fill us with your spirit, speak to us, nourish us with your word. Lord, this is such an amazing privilege that we can even come and read this love letter that you have given to us and how it changes our lives. Lord, do that with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, during this summertime, you've probably been out and seen uh, different, like, mission trips. We just sent a mission trip out to West Virginia, and it was wonderful to hear everything that went on there. And as you see different tours and mission trips or just groups of people out enjoying the summer, often you'll see them in a group wearing the same color shirt so that the people can kind of keep tabs on them. Or I've seen people with a tour guide with a little sign up nice and high so that the group of people can kind of see Oh, where am I going and who is leading me? It's been really cute every once in a while during the school years for all of our teachers here. We have a lot of teachers here in our church. I love seeing the little kids walking down the sidewalk, sidewalk all holding on to a rope. Have you seen that before? It's just so adorable, a little choo-choo train of kids holding on to that rope. And you know when you got the shirts and you're counting the people or you see the sign or those kids are holding on to that rope, you know, okay, they're in the right place. This is where you need to be. This is where you need to go. And as long as you're holding on to that rope, you're going in the right direction and you're safe. And that's really the big idea of this psalm that we're reading here in Psalm 91. And I don't get we're only going through verse 1 and 2. But God is inviting you to be under the shelter and the protection of his presence, walking with him in life. As he's leading this tour and he's counting and seeing who's with him, he's saying, hold on to this rope and live under the shadow of my almighty power and you are going to have a blessed life. So the big idea, take refuge under the mighty hand of God or live life on your own. 
That's the invitation that he is saying to each of us this morning. Take refuge in God in everything you do, every day, not just on a Sunday morning, but in your life, make this your mission that I'm going to take refuge in God no matter what's going on in my life. I'm going to submit all areas of my life to him because if we don't, we're now out of that realm. We're now living life on our own, and it's a much more dangerous place. So let's dive into verse 1 and 2, and then I'm just going to take time to just focus on some key words here that have really spoken to me. So Psalm 91, 1 and 2, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, I know that that's a short amount of verses that we just read, but sometimes when you're studying the Bible, you want to just take a small passage and really focus in on each word. And something I learned as a young Christian is to reread these verses over and over again and emphasize a different word each time you read it and really let God like allow you to just chew on that and let it soak into your heart word by word. And we're going to do a little bit of that today. I'm going to highlight and outline each word that we're doing. So back to Psalm 91 in the first part, it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, and let's just stop right there and focus on this word, whoever. Some of the verses say, whomever, or another translation says, everyone dwells in the shadow and shelter of the Most High. It's this invitation to everyone. Now, if you really just kind of ponder that verse, and I know that we're going to really take this slowly and think about this, but that word, whoever, sometimes we could just kind of skip right past that, but that is one of the most encouraging words in the Bible. Whoever wants to follow Jesus can be his disciple. Whoever wants to dwell under the shelter of the Most High is invited. What it says to me, whoever, even me, in light of all the ridiculous, selfish, immature things I've done in my life, and I have a lot in my life that I've shared with you from my past that was very embarrassing and very selfish and a lot of horrible choices that I made in my life. And the first time I really understood the gospel, I thought, whoever, even me, Are you kidding? This sacrifice at the cross that Jesus made can be put toward my sin? Wow, yes. Whoever wants to dwell with God is invited. You are invited. You are part of that whoever. You are part of that everyone. There's an invitation to all. I know a lot of times we get invitations and, and some of them are just kind of so-so. You know, you get that email and it says, you're invited. And you're like, oh, cool. Click on that. You're invited to take one of our surveys. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's not very exciting. I'm, I'm deleting that pretty quickly. We're not that impressed by that invitation. Do you like getting wedding invitations in the mail? I mean, most of the time I, I used to like that, but after performing 75 weddings, you're not so excited, and you feel bad saying that, right? I won't have you raise your hand right now, but I know a lot of you people uh, that are in this young church, you're going to four, five, six weddings a summer, and you get one in the mail, and you're like, oh man, I got to dress up, I got to put pants on, you know? 
I got to go buy a gift card. I got to go sit and listen to four or five speeches that may or may not be very good. And I hope the meal's okay. Some of these invitations to us are just like we could take or leave. But let me tell you, this invitation to dwell with the Most High God, to be in relationship with Jesus, to spend eternity in His presence, in His glory, this is the greatest invitation you could ever get. This is one you don't want to miss out on. Whoever wants to come to be in this party, in this wedding feast, you're invited. And we want to RSVP. We want to respond to Jesus. We want to say, yes, God, I want that. And every day that he says, I want you to dwell with me. I want you to be with me. We want to say yes to that. The next part here that I want to, to focus in on is in the New Testament, Romans chapter 10. But it's a quote of Joel chapter 2. For whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This was a beautiful promise in the prophetic book of Joel. In this passage, if you remember, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people that receive me. It's this promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come, and it's not going to be this thing that comes and goes, but it's going to be a permanence, a seal in the believers in Christ. It says, I'll pour out my spirit, and the, the, uh, the old men will, will see visions, and the young men will dream dreams, and I'm still dreaming dreams. I'm one of those young guys still, and uh, don't sleep very well, but it's still, uh, still happening. And uh, Joel is promising, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in Romans chapter 10, it repeats this same thing. It, it quotes this same passage in this invitation that you can be saved no matter what sins you've committed through this faith in Jesus Christ. Let's move on to what is this invitation to. I'll reread it again. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. And now we're going to just camp out on that word, dwell. And this is kind of how you do this Bible study. You just take your time. You savor it. Each word. Okay, whoever. What is he asking me to do? What's the action that God is asking every one of us to be a part of? To dwell in this place. To hang out there. To live. To abide in this place under this shelter of the Most High. To live your life. Again, not just something that we do on a Sunday morning, but this is like the mission of our life. God, I want to dwell with you every moment of my life. I want to dwell with you. I want to be with you. This isn't just a a, a wedding where I say I do and I go on with my own life, but I begin a relationship. I dwell with you. I listen to you. I spend time with you. I decide that everything that's important to you is important to me every day of my life. We live there. And what this means, really, is putting God on the throne of your life. Every day you're saying, God, as I dwell with you, what that means is I'm going to let you lead me no matter what. And, you know, we, we love that idea of heaven We love the idea that God loves us and and Jesus wants a relationship with us. But it's much more than that because it's about this lordship too. 
Holding on to that rope and going through that life holding on to that rope means we're not dwelling in other places. We're dwelling here with God. Because out here are these things that he doesn't want us to be a part of in our life. And so it isn't just the love and the forgiveness, which is wonderful, but God is saying, I want you to say no to some other things in your life so that you will dwell with me. You can't hold on to the rope and be in the shelter of God and run in the street at the same time. You can't do that. He's asking for this decision, this fork in the road to dwell with him. And it's hard sometimes when it comes to these things that we don't want to let go to, to let God be the throne, be on the throne in our hearts. Charles Spurgeon, wonderful pastor and author, uh, we quote him a lot around here. Charles Spurgeon says this, Men will allow God to be everywhere but on his throne. It is God upon his throne whom we trust. And this is a longer quote here, and Spurgeon is saying, we'll allow God to be everywhere. We give him permission in all these other places in life. But when it comes to our own decisions and maybe having to say no to some things, like, God, I don't want you on the throne in this part of my life. But he still invites us. He says, no, I want you to dwell with me. I want you to follow me and walk with me. Where does he want us to dwell? It moves on to the next part in verse 1. Whoever dwells where? In the shelter of the Most High. What a beautiful spiritual picture that walking with God is described here as a shelter. All the things that come to your mind about a shelter, a place of protection, a place when you're running out of a storm or there's, there's hail coming down or there's just the life's storms are throwing at you. And he said, hey, I have a shelter for you. I have a place for you to reside and be protected from everything that's going on. And a quick clarifier, that doesn't mean that the rain doesn't fall on us or that bad things don't happen. But this spiritual shelter is a place of peace. A place to experience God's sovereignty that no matter what's going on, God says, it's okay, I'm here with you, and I know what I'm doing. And it brings an incredible peace. God is asking us to live in this spiritual shelter, this place of protection. And once we get there, what can we expect? <clears throat> we move on in the verse. It says this, we'll rest in the shadow of the Almighty will rest. Boy, that's a beautiful word in our anxious society right now, isn't it? Maybe that's a really wonderful word to you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. I want to give you peace from the things that are going on in your life. I want to lower the anxiety and the stress in your life, and I want you to just be with me. I want you to be still and know that I am God. That's what this place is with him. It's a, it's a spiritual place that we can take with us all the time. On a, on a Tuesday afternoon when you're anxious or, or Wednesday you get that flat tire, you get bad health news on Thursday. No matter where we go in this world, it has nothing to do with circumstances or a physical place. He's saying, will you rest with me? Will you abide with me? 
Will you live with me and trust me and rest with me? It goes on to say where? In the shadow of the Almighty. We get another picture, just like we got a picture of this beautiful shelter. Now we get to be in the shadow of the Almighty. Think of a hot, scorching day like we experienced here in Ohio last week where it's 90 degrees and the sun is beating down on you. Uh, I was recently in a place where it was so hot that they were, they, were, they were putting water through these little overhead umbrellas with water vapor blowing out. Did you know that they have these? They shoot out cool water vapor. It is a place so hot that you can walk around and just be cooled by this vapor that's being uh, blown out. It's a hot, scorching place, and the sun is beating down. And God is saying, come and rest in the shade with me, this cool place. It's so interesting to me that it says in, in Genesis, when God was walking with Adam and Eve, it says he would walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. I'm not exactly sure why that is in the scriptures, but it gives me a beautiful picture of the coolness of the day. Maybe a twilight, and it's cooled off a little bit, and you're in the garden, and there's a shady spot, and God would just walk with his people. He'd walk with them and dwell with them. And at one point, they let go of that rope, right? Adam and Eve. And they went out, and they sinned. And they decided, we don't want to dwell with you, God, in the shelter and the coolness of the day and walk with you in the garden. We don't want to be in this beautiful, shady spot of your presence. We want to go and live our own lives. And they were filled with shame and guilt, and they realized they were naked. And when God came in the cool of the day to visit with them again, they hid. They hid because they were ashamed, and God had to call out to them, where are you? It's that time of the day. Come and rest with me in the shade, and we'll be living in our sin and our shade when we don't dwell with him. He's inviting us to a beautiful place. John 15 says it so well. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches If you remain in me, see there's that picture again, remaining in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. This incredible invitation and warning from Jesus in John 15 is saying, look, stay connected to me. I'm the vine, you're the branch, and you're going to get this nourishment. You're going to get this life from me. And if you step outside of that, it is not the abundant life that Jesus wants for you. It's something much less, much less peace, much less joy, much more shame and guilt and just an an absence of life. Jesus is inviting us in to the abundant life. So are we dwelling with him? Let's make this personal now for each one of us and move to verse 2. What does the psalmist say in light of this, this place and this invitation? He says, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And if you can see in this verse here, I tried to highlight all these personal 
things. The psalmist isn't just saying, this is just for you over there, or you, or the person next to me, or I hope my spouse is listening to this message right now. It's saying, I, me. This is a personal decision that I need to make. This isn't just for everyone around me. God loves me, and he wants me, and now you and I have to do what? I will say of the Lord, God, you are my refuge. God, I want you to be my fortress. In this whole world of of Christianity and whatever this means to walk with you, I want to be one of your disciples. He doesn't force this invitation upon anyone, but he's asking each of us to respond. And so I ponder this, and I think about this, and I think, God, okay, my life, my eyes, what, what, am, I, what am I seeing, and what, what do I want to place my eyes upon? What are the things that I put in my body? What am I going to do with my finances, my sexuality? My heart, I want to place myself under your dwelling. How am I doing in, in my, my thoughts toward other people? Is there unforgiveness in my life? What about all the things that he's challenging in you that you're thinking about letting go of that rope and going into this direction that you want to go with your money or your sexuality, your eyes, your food. You know, put that thing in for you that's tempting you to leave the shelter of the Almighty and say, you know what, I'm going to dabble over here because this is what I want to do. And God is saying, yeah, what about you in this area of your life? Is all of your life submitted to God? How about the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we daydream about and ponder when no one else is around and no one in this church would ever know you're thinking about those things? Will you even submit that to God? Can we say together, yes, Lord, we will say, we will all say, God, be my refuge Be my fortress. Be my God in this area of my life because I want to trust you with these things. And again, this is the beauty of a relationship with God. You might have things that are coming to your mind right now that maybe nobody else knows about in this church, but God knows. And he wants that area of your life. He wants it to be personal. This is the thing that just always has blown me away. I thought God was a million miles away when I was young. I grew up in a traditional church where God was only to be feared. And in my, my opinion of it or my perspective of it was God was just a million miles away. And he was probably angry with me and probably pretty ticked off by my life. And so I, I, I knew of him. I, I, I thought of him. But it's like I kind of just want to stay far away from him. And he probably wants to stay far away from me. And this blew my mind that God wants to be up in my business. (laughs) And he wants to be personal. And he wants to touch the deep parts of my mind and my heart that I didn't think I'd ever even say to another person, let alone a holy God. And that's what he's inviting you to. So can you say that? Yes, Lord, I want this to be all about you. 
we ask this question, why do I need God? You know, non-Christians and Christians ask that question. Even if you've been following the Lord for a while and you hit some rough spots in life, you might think, man, why do I need God? Matt, why are you talking about all this dependency on God? I'm pretty good in my life. I I can kind of coast through life and be pretty good. I don't want to be like real spiritual and a real Jesus freak. I just kind of like church a little bit, and I like Danny's voice, and I like the band and the sound, and that's cool. And, uh, you know, why why is it so serious? Non-Christians ask that a lot. I have dear family members that don't believe in God at all. And we answer these questions for the people we love. Why do I need God? Well, I believe that God puts something in every one of our lives that is beyond our control and beyond our own strength to succeed at. And he puts those challenges in our lives to show us our need for him. And sometimes people can go weeks and years and not even know that they need God. But then, boom, when something happens, it's like, wow, this is far beyond myself. This relationship, this health issue, whatever it might be, like, I really need God. And back to my sickness here that I shared about. I was in the hospital from November to February. And I really don't like fear, okay? something to know about me. I love risk-taking. I love entrepreneurship. I I don't like fear in my own life. I don't like fear in other people's lives. That's been something that's just been a passion of mine my whole life. And in these few months, I experienced incredible fear that I'd never experienced in 53 years of my life. And I was just so curious about it. I was reading something on psychology today And it was talking about the top five fears that people have in life. And kind of all the fears that we have probably fit into one of these five categories. And here they are. They're probably not a huge surprise, but the loss of life, loss of body parts, loss of mobility, loss of community, loss of dignity, self-respect. Now, you can leave that up there for a second. I experienced all of these at some point in those three months of my life. Obviously, we're afraid of dying, getting hit by a bus, getting cancer and dying or something like that. But another really one that maybe we don't think about is like some kind of like health issue where we're, we're mutilated or we, we lose a body part or something so serious happens that they came into the hospital and said, Matt, your kidneys are shot and you're going to need a kidney transplant. At best, maybe you're going to be on dialysis the rest of your life, and I just cried. You know, this doctor who means well, he's smart, he's seen these things before, he says, hey, this is the reality. Parts of your body are not going to work anymore, and I was afraid. The third one, loss of mobility, being paralyzed. I do have a fear of claustrophobia. When I've ever had to climb under my house to fix something in a crawl space that's like three feet high, I get under there and I think there's going to be an earthquake, the house is going to fall, and I'm going to be trapped, and I'm going to suffocate to death. That's a thought I've had, and I get scared. I start getting panicked. When I was in the hospital, I had so much atrophy that I was just paralyzed. And when no one was there and the the call button that you call the nurse fell on the ground, I thought, there's going to be a fire in this hospital and I'm going to burn to death in this bed. I can't even crawl out of bed and I was afraid. 
the loss of community. We can be so afraid of being alone. That is a natural fear for all of us. COVID was so difficult for that. The isolation, people thinking, what if I never get married? What if I never have any friends? What if I die alone? All these things of being shamed or put back from our community, not having dear friends in our lives, this loss of community is a real fear. And obviously being alone in a hospital a lot, my wife was there and was amazing, but many times she had to go home. And she'd say, are you okay for me to go? And I'd nod and she'd walk out and I'd cry. I'd be like, no, I'm not okay. I'm alone. I don't know how I'm going to get through the next 12 hours alone. And lastly, the loss of dignity and self-respect. And I won't tell you any stories about the loss of dignity that I had uh, in a hospital and the things that they have to do for you that you could probably imagine that you can't do for yourself. It was very humiliating. So I experienced tons of fear that I'd never experienced in my life. And when you face something like that, and maybe you have your different things that you're afraid of or that you've faced in life, it makes you bear down to deep places that you're not even sure that you have in regard to trust and faith. And I love that we just sang that song, God, you are the light in the darkness. Because there's dark times in our lives where we need God so desperately. We need him to just light a candle that we could just see anything of what's going on, to see his face and to see his sovereignty. And God did that for me in the hospital big time. And I will say this the rest of my life. I had some of the greatest intimacy with God in the hospital that I've ever had in my life. And I'll tell you, the presence of God is awesome. The presence of God is so sweet. And when no one else was there and the fear would rise and it was 2 o'clock in the morning and it's pitch black out and you're all alone and you're not sure if you're going to live and you say, God, you're all I have right now. I need you. And he shows up and he reverses everything and you feel joy I felt joy, and you feel peace, and you feel encouragement, and I remember this, and I, I want to hold on to this the rest of my life. There was a time when I was spending time with God and praying, and I felt his presence in that hospital room, and it was so sweet that I said, God, this is so awesome right now. I, I feel you. I see you. I understand you. I am spiritually aware right now this moment is worth everything I just went through. This is the best place in the whole planet Earth to be is right here with you right now. Isn't that amazing? That's God. I did not make that up in my mind because that's been my experience through life, and I know thousands of other people that would say the same thing, dwelling in the house of the Lord, in the presence of a holy God that loves you. I don't care about anything else in my life. I don't, I don't need anything else the rest of my life. I know I could be homeless on a curb, penniless, and experience the joy of the Lord. And that's our prayer for every one of you. That's what he wants
Because what happened at that moment is this last emphasis I want to give you. I took my eyes off of myself, and my eyes were turned toward God. And here's what it was. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And you see, we go from this invitation of like, I want to make this personal, but then our eyes are turned toward a holy God that we're going to be with for eternity if we've asked Christ into our life, and it just changes everything. And that's what we hope and pray for every one of you. I want to change gears here and just talk about Father's Day very quickly, and I'm sorry for the quick transition, but it is Father's Day, and I had something very meaningful that relates to this uh, because I was spending time with my son, Max, this week, and uh, my dad passed away 18 years ago, and I still miss him, and this interaction that I had with God was so sweet because I didn't know that God wanted to be such a good dad figure to me personally. I didn't understand that until I came into this relationship with Christ. And we're going to read this verse later in a little bit here in Romans where it talks about Abba Father. And it's this, this term of endearment like daddy, like calling God dad. And on this Father's Day, I want to, of course, acknowledge all of us fathers and say happy Father's Day. But just even thinking about my past experience here in these last few months, you know, saying happy Father's Day to our Heavenly Father. Happy Father's Day, God. Happy Father's Day to the best dad in the world that wants to have a personal relationship with us. And I want this for us. I want us to experience God in that way. And I want my kids, you know, as a dad, I want my kids to experience God more than I even experience God. That's my prayer, that they would be in love with Jesus even more than me. And that doesn't threaten me that I want my kids to be better than me. And the, the funny story of this was Max and I went out to L.A., Los Angeles, for a conference this last week. And one of the things that he wanted to do was go to Hollywood and see the stars, the, the Hollywood stars. So we were just there this last week in Hollywood, Max and I, my youngest son, and uh, it was very fun. We had so many great memories, and I won't go into everything, but you can imagine on the Hollywood stars and Jimmy Kimmel Live is across the street and all kinds of cool touristy things. There's just tons of tourists. And if there's tons of tourists, there's lots of people nearby trying to get money or sell things to the tourists that are nearby. So there's this one guy with his little box, and he's singing and trying to get donations. There were people there trying to sell 3D glasses. Um, there were people there just flat out asking for money um, and all kinds of little ways to, like, peddle their money. And I intentionally don't carry cash into those scenarios because when they say, hey, can I have a dollar? And I, I can just say, no, I, I don't have a dollar, which I don't. I just got my credit cards. So anyway, we saw lots of different people asking for money. Well, we saw, here's a picture, we saw Spider-Man and Mickey Mouse also there. This is the real Spider-Man and Mickey Mouse, by the way. And these two guys come up to Max and they like, hey, you know, fist bump. And they fist bump him. They're like, hey, to, to Max, not to me. Hey, do you want a picture with us? And he's like, yeah, sure. So they get lined up, and I get my camera out, and this guy jumps forward. He said, no, hold on. 
donation first. You know, he, he's trying to make some money, and he's like, you got a dollar? And I was like, no. So he wouldn't let me take the picture. This was the best picture I got. And Max is behind Spider-Man there. To the, Mickey Mouse has got his arm around Max. So great picture of Max, right? <laughs> so that, this is kind of the scene. Well, right after this, I didn't get a picture of it, but I wish, I wish I did. This 20-year-old kid comes up, and he's a rapper, okay? And he's got these little CDs, and, and I flip it over. He hands it to me, and his name's Master Boogie, okay? you got to be a good rapper if your name's Master Boogie. And he signs this thing and says to Max, hey, do you want this? And Max is like, sure. You know, he doesn't understand the whole scenario yet. And he, so the guy looks at me. He says, hey, I'm, I'm selling these. You know, give me some cash. I was like, I don't have any cash. He's like, do you have a credit card? And I was like, yeah, but I'm not giving you a credit card. He's like, what's your problem, man? And this guy like, kind of gets an attitude with me. He's like 20 years old. And, uh, and he says to Max, man, your dad's holding you back. And I was like, oh, okay, now I'm going to start getting fired up. And I was like, okay, let's just go. I said, like, I'm not going to give a, a stranger a credit card. And we start walking away. And he said, hey, to Max, you're going to be better than your dad someday. And then we walked away. And it was kind of this negative, you know, obviously vibe that you're probably feeling right now. And, but you know what's cool is I've said that to Max many times in my life. And I said, Max, did you hear what he just said? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be better than you. And I, said, <laughs> and, and I said, man, I hope that for you. I pray that for you, that you would have success and a walk with God far beyond. So what that guy said, I hope you're better than your dad. You're going to be better than your dad. I said, maybe that was like a prophetic voice from Master Boogie, you know? <laughs> because this relationship with God is so sweet that that's what we want to pass on. And I say that to, to the fathers out here. This is our hope. The hope of us earthly fathers is to point our children to the greatest father of all, our heavenly father. That's what we want to do as dads. That's what we hope and we pray. It's why we go to the games. It's why we, we are an ATM at times just giving out money. It's why we, we love and we serve and we do all that we can. Um, a huge thank you to dads um, because of all the sacrificial things you do for your children. And I remember learning early on that, that, you know, we all have different kinds of earthly dads, but just the way it is, we project that image of our earthly dads on to God, rightly so or wrongly so. Sometimes we get a glimpse of something beautiful, and that's a glimpse of God. And other times as fathers, we fail and we mess up, and we hope that our kids see, man, God's better than that. God's so much better than that. And here's the closing verse in Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. You and I have been adopted in as sons and daughters and now we can say to the holy God, the fortress, the strong rock, the shelter on which we want to live, we say, you're a great dad to me, and I want to be 
with you. That's our prayer for all of us today. Let's pray.